Every single one of us was pursued when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been embraced by a Savior who is faithful and true. That's his name. And you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. Precious promises. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. We are so excited to begin our new series today on the promises of God. It's going to be just absolutely awesome. Let me begin uh, this message and this series with the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he was a great novelist, a historian, a philosopher, and a political prisoner. He spent 15 years in the gulags, the forced labor camps in Russia, suffering physical and psychological torture. Uh, his Magnum opus, his great book, The Gulag Archipelago, over 2,000 pages, describes that horrific experience. And that book actually helped to bring down the Soviet Union. When he received his Nobel Prize for Literature in 1970, he gave a very well-known speech, and he said these famous words. He said, the simple step of a courageous individual is not to partake in falsehood. One word of truth outweighs the world. One word of truth outweighs the world. Ultimately, Solzhenitsyn won against the Soviet Union. And how did he do it? What weapon did he use against that mighty empire? His weapon was the weapon of truth. Armed with truth, Solzhenitsyn became an untouchable man, a follower of Jesus Christ who boldly taught and courageously believed the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, distinguished guests who are watching us online uh, today, I know that this has been a very difficult year. It's been a year for many of you uh, experiencing our enemy, the devil, uh, seeking to hold you captive to fear and to doubt and even to despair. Our main weapon against our enemy is truth, the truth from God himself. When you face difficult moments in your spiritual life, I want you to remember that the, the simple step of a courageous Christian is not to partake in falsehood. Instead, when you're surrounded by darkness and lies, you have to hold fast to the word of truth, the word of truth from God himself. That's what God's promises are really all about. We need to know the truth. In our age of disinformation and fake news and lies, not knowing what to truly believe, we need to know what is true. We need to hold on to some things that are always true. Friends, that's why the promises of God are essential. These promises are here for you and me for the times when we are distraught and worried and afraid, going, what's going to happen? I'm terrified. We've got to go in those moments. Wait a minute, there's some promises that I can hold on to here. When you go through those storms of life, what is it that gets you through? The promises of God are exactly what gets you through. 
This world can feel like a raging sea, restless, unstable, even dangerous at times. At those times, we are like ships driven with the wind and tossed about, subject to all of its changes and motions, and we can drift by its currents and be driven away by its tempests. And in those moments, we need an anchor. An anchor is a, is a naval tool that has some weight to it. It's heavy, and it's massive, and it prevents the craft from drifting. It holds things steady. Just like that, I believe, brothers and sisters, God in his word has given us an anchor. God has given us promises that are intended to keep us firm and secure. When we are feeling tossed about, we go, wait, hold on. God has given me some promises, and they can keep me steady, spiritually speaking. For the next two months, we will focus on some of the most important promises in the Bible, and today in this introductory message, we're going to ask and answer three fundamental questions that will set the groundwork and set the stage for the whole series. These questions are this, what are the promises of God, how do the promises of God work, and how do I apply them in my life? What are they, how do they work, and how do I apply them? That's our plan for this morning. Before we go there, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Those of you at home, let's just bow our heads and ask for God's blessing on our time and his word. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak today. I pray, God, that you would remove from our ears and our eyes and our hearts anything that would prevent us from listening to you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this entire series, that we might know your promises more deeply and that we might begin to know you and trust you more as our anchor in every single storm and that we might, as a result, find ourselves firm and secure because of your truth. We ask this for Christ's sake and for his reputation. Amen. Uh, to begin today, uh, what are the promises of God? Uh, take a look with me at our first text for this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is an amazing couple of verses right here. Notice first of all it says that God has given us something. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life and the verb here he says is, is God has given. That's, that's a perfect passive participle which means he gave something to us in the past with ongoing impact and effect into the future. And what is it that he has given us? It says right here he has given us his promises. Friends, the first thing we need to learn right now today is this. Our God is by nature a promise keeper. This is something that God does a lot. Uh, for example, he promises to Noah never to flood the earth again in Genesis chapter 9. He promises Moses that he would use him to free his people from Egypt and bring them to the promised land, Exodus 3 and 4. God promises to David that he would give him an everlasting throne, 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's so many more promises, I'll stop there for now. But the point is, the entire motif of the Bible, the whole point of the Bible, is all about God's promises and how he's kept them to us, his people. Promises are so important. Promises are the way in which God relates to us. Our entire relationship is built on his promises. Now you might ask, well, what is a promise? A promise is a declaration of what someone will do. 
let me put that on your screen for you. A promise is a declaration of what someone will do. Now here I'm talking about a positive outcome. If someone declares something negative that they will do, uh, that's another form of a promise that we call what? A threat. But in this series, we're focusing on the positive. That's what we mean by God's promises. You know, sometimes as a father, I like to joke around with my kids, and sometimes I, I get a little sarcastic, and sometimes they don't know whether or not they should take me seriously, and they go, Dad, are you kidding around, or what? Are you being serious here? And what do I say in those moments? I say this, I promise. I promise. And when they hear those words, they go, okay, Dad, Dad's serious about this. He promises. As a side note, one of the most valuable attributes that you have as a parent is your own credibility. Why? Because dishonesty and breaking your word will destroy relationships. We all want people to tell us the truth, right? I mean, who, who likes people to lie to them? Raise your hand at home if you like people to lie to you. That's why Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let me ask you this question. What is it really that holds people together? What is that bond that brings two people together? Now, I know in Hollywood the answer is, well, it's the feeling of love. That's what holds people together. The problem with that is I, I cannot feel your feelings. Instead, I assert that what bonds two people together is, is, is the way in which they show their love for one another, and one of the ways that they show their love for one another is keeping their word with each other. We do what, we're say, we do what we say we're going to do. In other words, we keep our promises. Now let me ask you this. What happens when we break our word with someone? First of all, if I break my word with you, I'm aware of that fact, right? I know I've told you something. I'm aware that I didn't do it. That's not good. My conscience starts bothering me right away. And then we start having like a relationship breakdown. You think, well, you said that you would do this and then you didn't do that and I don't know why and I'm not sure really what to think now. Because when, when we break our word, what are we saying? We, we are telling the other person very obviously that we cannot be trusted. And secondly, we are telling them that something else was more important than us keeping our word with them. This is why broken promises can cause all kinds of relationship problems. If this happens again and again over time, what happens is we begin an erosion of trust. And eventually we might even start separating ourselves from that person. We might start avoiding them because we don't trust them. Why? Because they broke their promises with us. See, it starts with small things, but over time, you know, Solomon said in the Song of Solomon, it's like the little foxes that destroy the vineyard. These little things in our relationship that sometimes make a big havoc. The word promise, it comes from the Latin word to send forth. Uh, the term missio means to send, like a missionary is one who sent. Promise means to send forth, to send forth your word. And when you make a promise, something happens between you and another person, right? There's an agreement that occurs there. And now the other person has expectations from you. And when you keep it, it communicates to the other person that you really do care about them. Nothing communicates your love to another person quite like a kept promise. I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine. He, he told his daughter that uh, he was going to take her to go outside and pick flowers together. Sure enough, later on, they were out picking flowers together. And then that's when she turned to her dad and said excitedly, hey, dad, you love me. And at that point, the dad goes, well, yeah, that's true, but what makes you say that like right now? And the little girl just said, well, that's because you told me that we were gonna pick flowers later, and now here we are. Simple as that. Keeping promises lets others know that we love them, that they're important to us. I assert this. A kept promise 
is the most tangible expression of love. A kept promise is the most tangible expression of love. Now, where do you think we got this whole idea of making and keeping promises from? From God, right? How do you know that the God of the Bible actually loves you? Have you ever thought about that question? Some people say, well, I just know. Well, how do you know? Well, the the Bible says that, but, but how do you know that the God of the Bible loves you? The answer, I assert, is that the God of the Bible has made promises to you and kept them. That's how you know that he loves you. I mean, what if he didn't keep his word with us? Could we trust him? No. But because God has kept his promises, we know he loves us and we know he can be trusted. See, our God is distinct from all others in that he gives us his word and he keeps it every single time. Psalm 145, verse 13 says, The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. Notice that word, always. Isn't that amazing? Always. That's a universal statement, without exception. The Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know know you break your word all the time. I never do that. I always keep my word, period, full stop. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, God's promises are great. God's promises are great. Notice that on your screen at home. God's promises are great. Why? Because they come from a great God. See, promises always depend on the person who makes them. Like if a little, little kid promises something outlandish, you go, I don't know if you can keep that, man. But, but, but these promises we learn about in this series, they are from God himself. They are great. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord. His greatness no one can fathom. Do you know how great God is? No, you don't. No one can fathom it. That means we don't have a clue how great God is. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? Friends, we serve a great God, and his promises are great. But they are not just great. Notice it says in in 2 Peter 1, they are very great. Great. They are very great. They are exceedingly great, your translation might say. That means they're greater than anything else. That means God's promises are greater than human wisdom. Sometimes when you face a problem, you call your friend, and that's fine. That's okay. But the first person you need to talk to is God. First, find out what God has said about your issue and what are his promises about that issue as they are exceedingly great. I'm just taking this passage one word at a time here, right? Notice, also, Peter says they are precious. What what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they're like sweet, like, oh, isn't that precious, like a little puppy dog. No, no, no. The word means valuable, like gold is a precious metal. What do you have in your possession that you find to be valuable? For me, as I was thinking about this, I thought my Jonathan Edwards Yale Press collection in my office. That is very precious and valuable to me. I I love the words of Jonathan Edwards. If the church is on fire, I'm running in and grabbing my Jonathan Edwards collection. They're precious to me. When you think about what's precious to you, what comes to mind? I want you to think about your Bible. When you think about your Bible, I want you to think, well, what's in here is really precious and what's in here is really, really valuable. Uh, These promises in here, they will get you through the darkest night They will get you through the deepest valley. 
These promises are precious. You know, Peter loves that word precious. He uses it like eight times in his first and second letter. He talks about the precious blood of Christ. He talks about the precious faith that we have. He talks about you as a precious stone in God's building. And here he talks about the precious promises of God. Something is precious if it's valuable and it's been proven over time. That word kind of reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. You remember that character, Gollum, and, and he had this ring. What did he call his ring? Remember that? My precious. Gollum had this ring, and he believed this ring had a power that it could do for him what nothing else could do, and he was right. Now, I know Gollum is twisted. I know, that's kind of a weird illustration, but, but that's what a promise is. It's precious because it has the power to do for us what nothing else can do, a promise from God himself. Now, let me ask you this question as you're watching from home. Listen carefully. To whom do these promises belong? The answer is they belong to the children of God. See, when you became a Christian, you became a very wealthy person. I I don't mean materially wealthy. But your spiritual inheritance as a result of being in the family of God is breathtaking. I could get up here and just name a bunch of billionaires for you right now. They are all poverty-stricken compared to you. Friends, you have access to the promises of God. These are your possession. This is what you have, even if you don't realize this is what you have. Those of you who wear glasses, have you ever been looking around for your glasses and you can't find them, and the reason why you can't find them is because they're on your face? Am I I the only person that has this experience? Have you ever been looking for your car keys and you can't find your car keys anywhere, and and the reason you can't find them is because they're in your pocket? Anybody? Don't leave me hanging up here. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. I think that's what the promises of God are like sometimes. We don't even realize that we have them. We don't even understand what is in our possession. When you think about your Bible, once again, when you hold your Bible, what are you holding? Friends, I assert what you are holding here is a, a mountain of treasure. And inside of this treasure are like diamonds, And those diamonds are the promises of God. And throughout this series, we want to share some of the most important promises of God with you. Now, how familiar are you with God's promises? Let's just get real. Did you know there's over 8,000 promises in the Bible? The book of Isaiah alone contains more than 1,000 promises. One of the most outstanding chapters in the scriptures as far as the promises are concerned is Psalm 37. Almost every single verse is a promise. My point is you need to familiarize yourself with the promises of God. In this series, we're gonna highlight some of the most important ones. We're gonna talk about the promise of God's sovereignty, the promise of God's goodness, the promise of God's presence, the promise of his provision, the promises that he gives us for godly living, the promise of his return, the promise of the gospel, the promise of his victory and his resurrection. I want you to pay attention to these promises each and every week, and each week we'll have a different scripture verse that goes with each of these promises. I want to challenge you to memorize those scriptures. Get these deep in your spirit. Know what the promises of God are. I'll come to today's verse in just a moment, but before that, That leads us to movement two. How do the promises work? How do the promises of God actually work? Like, you know, what's my part? What's God's part? What am I supposed to do? Well, our part is to believe, right? Our part is to have faith. 
For this part, I want to give you a visual aid. If I could get a couple of volunteers to help me, uh, if you could come on up at this time. Let me just show you something. I got a couple friends with me today, and if, you're just, if you just don't mind, just hold up those two signs so that the camera uh, can see. My, my friend over here, Andy, to my right, has got a sign that says, Today I Believe, right? And then my friend Bob over here has a sign that says, Tomorrow I Receive. Can everybody see those, those signs at home? Hopefully you got a camera shot with both of those signs in it. Now, Andy and Bob, just take two or three steps away from each other just for a moment, all right? Now, hold on right there. Now, sometimes that happens, doesn't it? It would be great if these two individuals were closer together, but sometimes they're really far apart. Now, sometimes they're closer together. Go ahead and take a few steps closer together. That, 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 we like that a little bit nicer. Okay, that's good. But what I want you to see is there's always a gap. There's always a space between when God promises something and when God actually fulfills that something. And what do I do in that space? What do I do in that gap? What do I do while I'm waiting? The answer is I walk by faith. And the promise is what I hold on to during that time. And God knows it's hard to wait on him. God is not callous about that time period. He knows it's hard. And so in the meantime, he gives us promises that we can hold on to while we wait. They are like an anchor that can keep us steady while the storm rages all around us and while we wait patiently. Thank you guys very much. You can be seated. You can just leave the signs set up on the stage for me if you would. I appreciate that. I want you to keep that visual in your mind now. One pastor said it this way, a promise is an assurance God gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. So how do the promises work? That's how the promises work. Now, let me ask you a question. Does every single promise in the Bible apply to you? If you're answering on your couch, just turn to your, turn to your uh, family members and answer that question. Does every promise in the Bible apply to you? Yes or no? The answer is no. Now, some of you might not have got that question right, but not every promise in the Bible is a promise made directly to you. For example, God promised Sarah that she would have a child at 90 years old. Now, how many of you women watching today, you're expecting to have a child at 90 years old? I don't think so. All the Bible is true, but not all the Bible is written to you. You have to listen. As you, as you think about these promises, you have to pay careful attention to how they work. See, I want you to consider the context of the promise. We often will apply a promise to ourselves before considering the original audience and its historical or cultural or textual context, in some cases, a promise was, was made to a very specific person for a very specific reason and has no further application beyond its immediate context. So first, pay attention to that context. Secondly, stay with me, listen carefully. I know this is, this is a little bit technical, but the second thing you need to know is there are two different kinds of promises in the Bible. First, there's conditional promises. A conditional promise is when, uh, when God says, you do X and, and I'll do Y. Let me put that on the screen for you. A conditional promise is when you do your part and then I'll do my part. That's conditional. Jen Wilkin wrote in her excellent article on God's promises that it's really important that when we read a promise, we don't overlook the if. Uh, she writes this. She says, promises that contain an if require some form of obedience before we can expect them to come to pass in our lives. They are conditional. If we want to claim them, we had better be ready to act in obedience to what they require. 
Let me just give you an example. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a promise of forgiveness if we confess. James chapter 1, verse 4 says, God will grant us wisdom, liberally, if we ask him. But we've got to ask him. See, these are conditional promises. Don't overlook the if. Now, the second kind of promise in the Bible is, you could probably guess it, an unconditional promise. This is where God makes a promise, and there are no conditions whatsoever. Now, that doesn't mean you get the fulfillment whenever you want to. He's still in charge of the timing. But it does mean that you can count on it unconditionally. Let me just remind you of one unconditional promise that God made to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham said to God, God, I don't have any children. I have no heir. And God said to Abraham, well, I'm going to give you a son. In fact, go outside, look at all the stars. I promise that your descendants will be that numerous, as many as the stars, if you can count them. Now, at that time, Abraham didn't have any kids. And so Abraham said to God, God, how can I know this will be true? And then God did something amazing. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, an unconditional, everlasting, unilateral covenant with you. Now, back in Abraham's day, if you were going to make a covenant with somebody, a promise to somebody, what you would often do is you would take an animal, and you would cut it in half, and you would walk in between the, the halves of that animal as you announced your promises to that person. And this is very significant because as the person was walking through the, the halves of that animal, what they were saying is that if I do not fulfill my word with you, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. That, that's how serious I am about these promises that I'm making you. If, if I don't keep your word, may I be struck dead if that's what it takes to keep my covenant with you. That's how much God is putting on the line here. Now, let's say you were making promises or you were making a covenant with a great king. Guess which one of you would walk through the animals? You would, not the king. You would be the only one walking through those animals. But here's the amazing thing about what God did for Abraham. God so condescended here. It says that darkness came over that place and God himself manifesting his presence in the form of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch came down and God Almighty passed through those pieces. God was amazingly saying to Abraham, Abraham, I am giving you my word, my promise, my covenant, my blessing to you and your descendants. Wow. Hebrews chapter 6 says this, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. But what happened here is when God swore an oath, he says, I swear by myself, which means I don't need anybody outside of myself to make this happen. See, God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, regardless of what you do or don't do. That means there's nothing left for Abraham to do here except to believe 
and to wait patiently. Now, Abraham didn't always do that. In fact, he decided that he needed to help God out a little bit. Sometimes we do that too. And uh, there was a little situation with his maidservant, Hagar. You probably remember that story, and that kind of threw a wrench into the whole plan a little bit. Sometimes that happens, right? Does that sidetrack the promise of God? No. 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 Somebody sent me this funny meme the other day. Uh, she, She said, when God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. Most comforting thing I ever heard. <laughs> I was like, amen, sister. That, that, that's, that, that's the truth right there. Ain't that the truth? Turn to, your, turn to your neighbor on the couch there and say, there's hope for you. There, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Uh, the text in Hebrews chapter 6 goes on to say this. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, let me show this to you on your screen. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did that. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Notice the Bible uses that word anchor here, the anchor for the soul. Notice in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says something very important. It says, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. That goes against God's very nature, and he in his nature cannot change. In fact, right there, that's going to be today's memory verse in Hebrews 6, 18. It is impossible for God to lie. Let's say that together. You guys at home, ready? It is impossible for God to lie. And so when he gives us an unconditional promise, we can take it to the bank. It is an anchor for the soul. Now, how do the promises work? Well, we've seen. You've got to look at the context. Don't overlook the if. See if it's conditional or unconditional and obey accordingly, and then wait patiently, which brings us to movement three. How do these promises apply in my life? Like, where does the rubber hit the road? How does this actually work for me? Well, I want to share with you a few practical examples, but I want to begin with a verse from 2 Corinthians 1.20, where the Apostle Paul says this, for every one of God's promises is yes in Christ. Therefore, through him, We also say amen to the glory of God. When God gives a promise, because we know his son, Jesus Christ, his promises are yes in him, and our response as God's people is amen, I believe it, so be it. That's the response of faith. Let me see if I can get more specific, as in this series, we're going to study a few of these promises. For example, On week three, we're going to talk about the promise of his goodness. And so when you look around you and things don't look good, I want you to remember the promise of Romans 8.28. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, we say, Lord, have you promised to work all things together for our good? God says, yes. We say, amen. I believe it. Another example, on week four, we're going to look at the promise of his presence. 
when you look around and you feel alone and you feel afraid, I want you to remember Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says this, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's an unconditional promise. In other words, Lord, have you promised to never leave me or never forsake me? God says, yes. We say, amen. I believe it. I'm going to walk by faith. There's a similar promise found in the book of Joshua that was very meaningful to me. I remember one time in my life, I was feeling really anxious about a big decision to sell my home and move my family from one state to another for a certain ministry and move across the country. And I claim this promise from Joshua 1.9. God said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This promise helped me so much. I said, God, Will you promise to be with me like you were with Joshua? God said, yes. I said, amen. I'll believe. I'll follow you. And oh boy, did God make good on that promise. I'll tell you about that another time. Just amazing. One more example. On week five, we're gonna study the promise of God's provision. So when you look around and then you have needs and you're wondering how you're gonna make it through, I want you to remember Philippians 4, 19. It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, have you promised to provide? Have you promised to meet our needs? God says yes, we say amen. I want you to see that that equation works for every single promise in the scriptures. God says yes, we say amen. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Let me share with you just one story of someone who is trusting this promise of God's provision. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller was a German pastor in the 19th century. He worked with D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon. He inspired Hudson Taylor. He pastored the same church for over 66 years. It was an independent Baptist church with reformed teaching. But he's most known, actually, for his ministry with children who had no parents, who had lost their parents. He built five large orphanages and cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. This ministry operated by faith, and, and he tells the story of several crises that occurred during his time there. For example, one morning, the house mother of the orphanage informed George of low supplies. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat, she told him. George said, I want you to do something. I want you to take the 300 children, bring them over to the dining room, and have them all sit down at the tables, and I'm gonna pray. And then he prayed, and he thanked God for the food, and then he waited. Within a few minutes, strangely, a baker knocked on the door of the orphanage. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. Let me bring them in. Just a few minutes after that, there was another knock at the door. It was a milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, plenty for all the kids. Amazing. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches 
in glory. Let me read you a direct exhortation from Mueller himself, a plea for us to join him in this path of radical faith in God's promises. My dear Christian reader, he writes, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This way is as open to you as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brother in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which, while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. All God's promises are yes and amen. Know them, claim them, believe them, live by them, and wait patiently for God to fulfill them in your life. As the worship team comes, let me just finish that story about Abraham and the promise that God made with those animals. Remember that? God really got himself on the hook there because there is a problem. God is stuck See, see, God is absolutely holy. He cannot tolerate sin. God says in other places that he cannot bless a disobedient people. So what is God going to do? This is the story of the Bible, and it's basically a plot that thickens and thickens and thickens. You read the Old Testament, and you go, is God going to give up on his people? What about his promise? Is God going to give in to his people and, and let them be the messes that they are? What about his justice? How in the world is God going to both keep his promise and at the same time uphold his holiness and his justice? Now think about this. When God walked through those animals, God was basically saying, if I don't bless you like I say I'm going to bless you, then I will take on this curse that you see if that's what it takes. Tim Keller commenting on this passage says, God was saying, as I walk through these animals, if I don't bless you, may my immortality become mortality. May my life become death, if that's what it takes to keep my covenant with you. I'm sure that sounded rather impossible to Abraham at the time, but you and I both realize that hundreds of years later, in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate seed of Abraham, God himself took on human flesh, and his immortality became mortal, and his life was laid down for us even in death because that was the only way that he could keep his promise with you, by becoming a sacrifice, by becoming a curse for us to forgive you and to bless you with these great promises of God. Jesus really is the ultimate promise and the key to unlocking the rest of God's promises because it's through Jesus that we gain access into this grace and the blessing of these promises. Friends, if you want to live a life dependent on these promises, you must realize that these promises belong to the children of God. Which means, listen, if, if you're watching today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, can I just say with all due respect that these promises do not yet belong to you. 
the very first step in living a life with access to these promises is accepting the greatest promise of all, the promise of the gospel, forgiveness of sins through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, let me give you the opportunity to do that right now as I share one more promise as we close. It's a conditional promise. It's found in Romans chapter 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, if that's you, and you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, it will be my great privilege to lead you in that prayer of salvation. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends today who are watching. I pray, God, that if anyone watching today does not understand and know the gospel of Jesus Christ and would like today to ask for your forgiveness and would like to place their faith and trust in you and accept the promise of your forgiveness and eternal life, I pray, God, that you would allow them to do that. Lord, I also pray for my brothers and sisters who've already made that decision. Help us to step out in faith during this series and to test these, own, these promises in our own spiritual lives. Help us to know how to activate our faith. Help us to know you, God, the promise keeper more than ever before. Show us your very great and precious promises. Help them become more real to us as we see them fulfilled. Help us to take our stand on the promises of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.